When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. So happy to be with you today. Last week's episode was part one of a look back at the 2018 MLB Amateur Draft. Getting a feel for how guys selected in the first round have ended up fantasy-wise or are sitting fantasy-wise currently. Today will be the second part as we finish up the first round, including the compensation picks, some of whom are pretty interesting. But before all that, baseball has been in full swing. Prospects are blossoming left and right. So we're going to bring a new segment to the podcast I'm going to call it Prospects to Pros, where we cover the relevant prospect news at the major league level from the past couple of weeks. And to kick things off, our guy, Baltimore Orioles starter Kyle Bradish, put up his best start yet as a major leaguer. Seven innings pitch, two on runs on four hits, 11 strikeouts for his first career win. Just looking magnificent. We're excited to see that. We also had Chase Silseth make his major league debut for the Los Angeles Angels. And that was yesterday. He pitched quite well. Six innings, no runs, one hit, two walks, and four Ks. Remember, Silseth was a 2021 draft pick. So within a year and without pitching at AAA at all, Silseth was able to deliver a quality start and his first taste of the bigs. So the Angels, first you have Reed Detmers pitching a no-hitter. Now you have Chase Silseth. Are the Angels maybe finally reaping after sowing so much into pitchers over the last few years. We'll have to take a look and wait and see. Out West, we have Alec Thomas receiving the call up and immediately hitting the ground running. Uh, when I checked his numbers, and these aren't uh, completely up to date because today is Sunday, um, and I was looking at these numbers on Saturday, but he was 5 for 13. He had a home run already and four runs scored. Corbin Carroll is right around the corner, and the Diamondbacks are starting to look Pretty exciting as a team to watch in the next couple of years as they look to build a contender out in the desert. And in St. Louis, Brendan Donovan is doing exactly what I said he would. Not to toot my own horn, but I did kind of call this. Uh, Utility infield type, but he can flat out hit. He stepped into the gap after they demoted Paul DeJong. Uh, Again, not completely up to date numbers because I looked at this on Saturday, but he's eight for 25, four doubles, a home run. He's got five strikeouts to four walks. If he's still available on your wire, he's definitely bringing value in just about every league size, except for maybe the the very most shallow. I'm, I'm talking about like eight, 10 teamers. Um, but anything else, he's going to bring value to you. I'd be interested in, in redrafts as well, uh, just for depth, because he's going to get uh, at bats at least until Nolan Gorman gets called up and, creates another sort of log jam around the mid uh, around the infield but with the jong out of the pitcher 
it's really Edmundo Sosa and Donovan uh, at short, it looks like. Maybe Donovan playing some second base while they move uh, Edmund around. And while Sosa is a better defender, Donovan definitely brings a more dynamic bat. So I would uh, go out and, and try to grab Brendan Donovan. Again, he, he's not going to be a starter, but he should be a depth piece for you. And I think you'll be um, you know, pretty nicely rewarded uh, as he continues to hit. So with that, just jumping around the league real quick, we'll put uh, prospects to pros to bed. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back to finish our fantasy retrospective on the first round of the 2018 MLB draft. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Okay, and we're back. So if you remember, we left off at number 18 in the first round. And number 18 was uh, the Kansas City Royals selecting Brady Singer out of the University of Florida. Singer has uh, already debuted, of course, in 2020. Entering 2022, I, I saw this stat I thought was pretty interesting. Entering 2022, Singer has actually led all pitchers who debuted in 2020 in number of starts at 39 and number of innings pitched at uh, 192 and two thirds innings pitch. So a guy that was able to kind of, um, you know, it looked like at least hit the ground running, uh, make his debut pretty, pretty early on and start really racking up um, innings. If you think back, Singer really was the one who heralded what was supposed to be a, a sort of turnaround as far as pitching for the Royals as they start to rebuild um, after, you know, post their World Series success as the team started to hit a downturn, he was really part of their uh, reclamation process and really their first star uh, guy, their their first star prospect that they were looking forward to seeing. And at first it looked like he was going to be able to at least be a workhorse for them and, and racking up those innings. Currently, he's actually getting himself stretched out after he was optioned to Triple A Omaha earlier this season and really just had a brutal start to this year. Um, and that's what earned him getting optioned down. Uh, right now, the focus really seems to be getting him to throw more of his change um, at a high enough rate as to really make that sinker slider combination more effective per Savant. Out of the 103 pitches Singer has thrown at the major league level this season, he's thrown one changeup. So just relying way too heavy on that sinker slider and neither pitch really showing up as as being 
efficient enough or effective, I should say, enough uh, for him to just be a two pitch pitcher in that way. So there was actually a start and I'm blanking on the date, but I, I saw it pop up on the timeline where it was almost all changeups that he was throwing at the minor league level after he was optioned down. It was the, the, the clip that I was watching, it was almost all changeups. So really a strong emphasis on singer finding a, a grip that works for him and really getting the feel and building that feel in so he can have all three pitches that he can utilize. Um, and we'll have to just see if that is going to, to uh, take its effect. Um, and like I said, he was the headliner of what was supposed to be this really dynamic group of young pitchers for Kansas City. And instead, I think he's kind of become the avatar for what hasn't worked so far in the Royals renaissance from the pitching standpoint. Uh, when we look at Daniel Lynch, who we'll actually talk about a little bit later, Jonathan Boland, Jackson Coar, who we'll talk about later, and even Asa Lacey a little bit, who obviously was drafted a couple of years later. Um, in a lot of ways, a lot of the questions and a lot of us seeing their um, lack of uh, efficiency and ineffectiveness uh, at the major league level uh, and, and at the high minor level as uh, Lacey is concerned. A lot of ways, Singer was kind of the the harbinger of all that. He kind of showed that maybe there was a disconnect or something a little bit lacking um, from this group more so than what we may have anticipated. At this point, the Royals have come out and said that they're still committed to Singer being a starter and not coming out of the bullpen. So if you believe in a turnaround, then you might be able to buy low on Singer. But if you don't believe in, in him turning things around, either with change up usage or just becoming a better strike thrower, then there's really no reason I see to have him rostered unless you have really uh, a really deep league. You know, if your league size or roster spots are, are quite large, then obviously you need all the pitching that you can get. But if you're in kind of a standard 14 team mix, then I think you can actually leave. Uh, singer alone for the time being if he comes back up and he starts to show and I'm talking about multiple starts he starts to show that he really has a feel um, for throwing strikes on all three of those pitches now suddenly yeah he becomes really interesting but until that happens I'm okay with not making that investment so next up, we have number 19, and that is Nolan Gorman. I'm not going to go too deep into Gorman because he's pretty much a known quantity, I think, at least from a prospect standpoint. Uh, so the biggest thing with him, of course, he was coming up as a third baseman. Now it seems he's almost exclusively uh, at second base in AAA. And I think when he does get the call, that's really where he's going to be getting the majority of his starts of course now with the other Nolan uh, the, the even better known Nolan at third I think that um, cuts down on him from the major league standpoint and of course you have Jordan Walker who's coming up and doing quite well at double a for being a 19 year old still and I don't think he's even turned 20 yet if he has he is, is recently so being so young um, doing quite well and he looks like uh, Walker looks like he'll be able to stick at third so Gorman's kind of getting squeezed from both ends I think that that leaves him at second base. Uh, it, it, the raw and the game power has been present. Uh, I've, I've written about him as uh, being player of the week uh, at least once so far um, on pitcher list. And uh, he went on home run binge uh, earlier this year. Just he seems to be continuously hitting home runs. So the power is real, uh, but he does kind of have a corner uh, a corner infielder, a corner outfielder type of batted ball profile is kind of odd. 
um, for second baseman because it is going to be a lot of feast and a lot of famine. So he still has that 30 percent or so um, K rate. Uh, he's still going to be a guy that has a lot of fly balls. He's not going to be a spray hitter. He's not really going to be gap to gap. It's going to be a lot of home runs, but he's also going to be striking out a lot. So just something to be wary of. I probably value him a lot lower in uh, batting average league than the OBP league uh, because of that. So just be aware. And also if the, if that K rate starts to climb, especially as when he does get his call up, that's going to also become a concern. So at number 20, we have um, interesting figure. This is Trevor Larnack, who was drafted by the Minnesota Twins and Larnack debuted last year. He's really been uh, pinched for playing time. And I think I've talked here and elsewhere about how um, odd the Twins sort of um, roster construction has been for position players just trying to get their current uh, sort of major league roster along with their higher prospects, figuring out where everybody's going to be able to play. And even with injuries um, besetting the team, it still has been kind of a weird mix and match. Uh, it's worked out for Royce Lewis so far, but he was always going to stick um, at shortstop. It was just a matter of, or I should say he was always going to stick as being up the middle. It was just a matter of when he was going to be able to get time and the injury to Korea is, is provided that when Korea comes back, um, healthy, then it again, it becomes a question there. In Larnack's case, he's a corner outfielder. You already have Kepler um, in right field. You had last year, you had Kirilov um, grabbing that bets while he was healthy. With Larnack's power being somewhat present last year, he hit seven home runs in 79 games. Um, that gives him something to go off of, some sort of carrying tool. But again, K-Rate, uh, sort of similar to what we were talking about with Gorman, K-Rate just detracts from anything um, productive that he puts out. So currently, Larnack is on the IL, uh, but he's on seven-day IL. He might be able to make it back um, in time before Kirilov actually returns. Kirilov is rehabbing his wrist injury in the minors. So there's a chance that Larnack is able to grab some position um, and, and grab some at-bats but again, just overall, I don't see a lot of um, value there. He profiles as that fourth outfield type, both in fantasy and in real life. Um, I'd actually kind of compare him a little bit to another AL Central uh, player, and that's Gavin Sheets. But the major difference there is Sheets at least benefits from a team that has less depth at his particular positions. So uh, as we've seen currently, when a player goes down for Chicago at one of those positions, be it first in that first base DH corner um, outfield spot, Sheets can easily step in. Larnack, there's so many different guys that kind of all play the same position and, or same couple of positions in Minnesota. I don't think Larnack has done enough, and I don't think he's regarded high enough in the organization where if one guy goes down, he is automatically going to be the one that gets the call to step in. So would I seek Larnack out? Probably not. Um, I do have him rostered on one particular team and I'm probably uh, I, I probably am going to let him go um, within the next week or so. And the reason the main reason why I had him was in the event that he could squeeze out time, uh, it would have been helpful for me. And also it's a rather deep league. So the waiver wire isn't there, there's not a ton to be had out there. But I think uh, especially with him being on the I.L., it, it's it's pretty much time to cut bait. 
So Larnack is definitely somebody I think you can leave out on the wire. If he gets some at bats um, and gets hot, then I think cool. You can probably stream him essentially and, and pick him up and, and try to get some of those counting, uh, counting numbers to go your way. But other than that, just let him be. That brings us to the Milwaukee Brewers selecting at number 21 and they selected Bryce Terang, shortstop, prep baller, no debut yet. We've kind of talked about that uh, between last episode and as you can see uh, throughout this episode um, with Terang, he ended 2021 on kind of a low note in AAA after he had a pretty productive bulk of the season while he was in AA. So it really was a question of which was that too much for him or did he just need a, another you know bite at the apple uh, at the AAA level and maybe to start his season there, get himself uh, a little bit uh, more set and ready. Um, he has been consistent with his walk rate, never being below 8%, his K rate never going over 22% in his professional career. So that's always been there for him to fall back on regardless of level. And his batted ball profile seems to show more hit over power. His ISO numbers have been very low at every stop. This year actually is his highest ISO numbers yet, and that's at um, 0.148. So not somebody that's really showing a lot of slugging or the ability to really lift the ball uh, or drive the ball even um, often. His ground ball rate, uh, has actually almost always been over 50%, but he has shown some speed previously. He swiped 21 stolen bases in 2019, but we've actually seen that decrease over the last couple of seasons as well. So even the speed isn't showing up the same way. Right now, it looks like there's more value in Terang's glove than his bat. He does seem to be a pretty uh, good um, infielder at shortstop, so he's probably going to be able to, to hang there. But it's really a matter of can he add some more power? If he can add just a little bit more, now he becomes more of an interesting utility mid, uh, middle infielder. You can almost see him in that uh, Estrada, um, more more popped than Andrew Velasquez. But some of those guys I mentioned a few episodes ago as far as um, middle infielder type that you can kind of cobble together to, to Frankenstein one whole uh, sort of shortstop in, in a fantasy standpoint. Terrain starts to kind of profile in a similar way of maybe he can grab you 10 to 12 stone bases. Uh, he's definitely not going to help your batting average or your OBP, but maybe he doesn't completely decimate it every now and then he might run into one. And that's really the thing. If he can just run into one uh, every now and then, you know, if he can get you eight to 10 home runs, then, okay, he, with that, some stolen bases and his glove, then for deep league guys, he might be a, a play. But for right now, uh, this is another person who I'm okay with letting him hang on somebody else's roster. Maybe if I'm doing a very large deal, like a four-player deal, maybe he's that fourth player that I just have. It's like, hey, I'll take him as an add-in just to see what might happen. Um, Milwaukee's not exceptionally deep, especially when it comes to infielders for prospects. So maybe some things break his way in the next uh, season or so where he does at least start to get major league at bats and then we can see. But uh, I would say another uh, maybe a, a even better person to think about. And again, you guys know I, I, I'm not a fan really of doing straight on comps, but just thinking about um, player types. If you look at Perdomo in Arizona, guy that is very solid defensively 
but has not really shown the ability to hit for power much at all. Terrain, I think, may be similar, um, just without the left-handed bat. So, so just like Perdomo was given a few different shots, uh, you know, some long stretches of trying to solidify himself as the shortstop of the future for Arizona before they seem to kind of have start to shift elsewhere, obviously with their draft picks, but just overall, I don't think Perdomo is, is seen as highly as he was a couple of seasons ago. I think for Terang, it could be very similar where he gets a couple of bites at the apple somewhere in the middle infield, obviously with having uh, Adamas there, I think they're set. Um, they feel set in Milwaukee at shortstop specifically, but maybe he gets some shots at second base um, plus shortstop and who knows uh, shortstop being so athletic maybe they move him around in the outfield as well that's kind of that's more speculation but regardless you know terrain might might come up in the next couple of seasons and uh, at least get some extended run somewhere if he if he can hit some balls out and steal some bases there's something there otherwise uh, he's definitely a better real life player than fantasy player at number 22 for the Rocky selection, they picked Ryan Rollison from University of Mississippi. And unfortunately for Mr. Rollison, um, he has yet to pitch at the major league level and has really struggled with injury through the past couple of minor league seasons, um, almost since uh, or shortly after he was selected. He's currently on the 60-day injured list with a shoulder strain. Last season, he only appeared in 16 games uh, after having a case of appendicitis, and that was followed by a broken hand uh, or broken bone in his throwing hand, I should say. So, uh, you know, from a real life perspective, before we even get into a fancy perspective, he has to come back healthy and then he has to pitch over an entire season. Um, 2021 at double A was some of Rollison's best work uh, to date. He had a 31.6% K minus BB rate, and that was over 14.2 in his pitch. Um, but then once he was promoted to AAA, all of his numbers became a lot more pedestrian. Um, not, not awful, but definitely not anything to really stand up and take notice of. And right now he's just yet another Rockies pitching prospect that just has yet to pan out. Definitely hoping, you know, good health to him, hoping that he can come back and really get a a true chance at uh, making the major league roster. But right now, Rollison is uh, is just not a he's essentially a non-entity from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Number 23 is uh, Anthony Siegler. Uh, I'm not familiar with Anthony Siegler. He was a catcher uh, selected out of high school by the Yankees. We're going to move on. Number 24 is Nico Horner. Shortstop out of Stanford, of course, selected by the Chicago Cubs. Um, Horner made his debut uh, the year after he was selected in 2019. And uh, it's been a a guy, it seems like he's been a a prospect for quite some time, simply because he has yet to really find a way to stick in the Cubs lineup, even through their rebuilding process that they've they've now entered. He's kind of constantly in and out. He's had some injuries. He's always kind of moving position, second base shortstop. I think they've had him in outfield from time to time. I will say this season has been his best in a few different ways. His contact rate is at 84.2%. He has a swing and strike rate all the way down at 7.8%. 
Um, so contact is there. The main issue for Horner has always been he just doesn't lift the ball enough um, for any sort of po- positive outcomes. His hard contact and the sweet spot percentage per p- his pitcherless um, card are higher than ever, but his ground ball rate is still over 50 percent. So it's just too many ground balls. He's hitting the ball harder than he has previously, but um, not uh, lifting the ball in a way that really is is finding grass essentially or going over the wall. So there's there's not really a lot there that he's going to produce for you. He's not a base dealer. Uh, we already talked about, obviously, lack of power. He's not a run creator, nor is he a run a producer. Uh, you might be able to get him from somebody that's equally non-plussed as I am. Uh, so you might be able to get him cheap. But if you're doing that, then you really have to believe that he'll be both um, hitting more fly balls or line drives at least. So driving the ball in some capacity way more than he has been. And you also have to believe that either because of that or along with that, he'll get to that sort of 300 plus at bat tier to be relevant at all in any sort of league other than the deepest of deep leagues. Because again, the the way the Cubs roster is composed right now, he's still not an everyday starter and he's not even necessarily your normal rotation guy, you know, that's going to give breaks. He's, he's kind of always sort of third on the depth chart, no matter what position you look at, um, which is just, it's not helpful from a fantasy standpoint. Number 25 is the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we just talked about their sort of middle infield situation briefly by talking about uh, Gerardo uh, Perdomo, excuse me. Uh, But in 2018, they actually selected uh, from Beckham High School, Matt McClain, who obviously did not sign, later went on to honor his commitment at UCLA and then was selected by the Cincinnati Reds. And that shortstop class of 2021. So we're not going to touch too much on McLean. Um, he really should go in to his draft class bucket. But obviously, I will say he's doing quite well um, at double A currently um, making an impact. And I would expect to see him at the major league level um, within the next uh, couple of seasons. So just something to uh, keep an eye on. But for our intents and purposes, we're going to move to our next pick, which is the Boston Red Sox selecting at number 26. That's Tristan Cassis. This is yet another player who don't really have to go super deep into. Uh, He's kind of well known as being uh, just a really good all around hitter. Seems like he's going to be set at first base. Um, He did play some third base in the, in parts of the minors, but seems like first base is going to be his position. Um, as he looks to come up into the majors and it's really just a matter of when uh, some people were clamoring for him early on over Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, Dahlbeck got off to a hot start and then uh, definitely cooled off. So some people have started to look for Cassis to be promoted soon. Um, Cassis himself actually had um, some slow weeks there in April um, before he's kind of started to turn it around. The power isn't there. And I've told people before, with Cassis, his approach, the way he is as a hitter, don't be surprised if you don't see a lot of home runs come from him. He has the power. He has the ability to hit a lot of home runs, but I don't think that that is his approach. I think his approach makes him more hit over power. I can definitely see him being high batting average, definitely a high OBP and lower than what you might expect 
as far as the counting stats for home runs. Um, essentially somewhere in that 20 to 25 range, even though he has the ability, he has the, the power tool. If he were to lean into it to be a 30 plus home run masher, I think that would detract from his um, his his contact ability. And I think the way he looks at baseball, you just read a lot of his um, interviews that he's done around his hitting approach. I just think he looks at the game of baseball and looks at his hitting approach as making hard contact, not necessarily lifting the ball and trying to drive it out the ballpark. So just things to be in mind with uh, pursuing or looking at Tristan Cassis. Uh, I would say one last note uh, when he does come up, depending on the, the time of year, I, he's somebody that I would definitely look at in a redraft as well. I think he, he's the type of hitter that can make that sort of impact um, that if he does come up with enough time to spare, um, whether it be to start a season. So you're looking at the whole thing, or if you're talking about um, after a trade deadline, after um, the real life trade deadline, and then he comes up, uh, even if it's him coming up in sometime in, um, in August, just in of itself. So you're just looking at, you know, last month and a half or so of your fantasy season. He could be somebody that hits well enough that could help you out. Um, just kind of eke over some categories. So again, Tristan Cassis, some things to, to think about as you're waiting for him to make his major league debut. Number 27, uh, Washington Nationals selecting Mason Denenberg. Uh, Denenberg just hasn't given us uh, anything to really go with. He had arthroscopic surgery on his right shoulder in October 2019. He's currently recovering from Tommy John surgery that he had March of 2021. So kind of like Rollison, we got to wait for him to actually throw. Um, and get some innings logged as a pitcher before we can say anything about him one way or the other. Number 28 is Seth Beer uh, coming out of Clemson. He was, uh, again, originally selected by the Houston Astros. Um, Beer later was part of the trade that sent him to Arizona um, in exchange for Zach Greinke. Beer, of course, debuted this year and had that really remarkable walk-off homer as his first career home run on National Beer Day. Um, Beer was actually seen as one of the big beneficiaries uh, from the prospect standpoint. Uh, someone benefiting of Beer was seen as one of the big prospect beneficiaries of the NODH being introduced. And that's where he's logged most of his at-bats so far. Unfortunately, after the fun that was had in the first sort of week or so of the season, uh, he just recently broke what had been a 0 for 37 hitless streak. And he looks pretty feast or famine, which is pretty much what was built into his profile. Uh, I think right now, obviously, with it being a lot more famine, it's best to let him hang on the wire. And so he starts to get hot again. Maybe you can stream him for some counting stats, especially if you're in a head to head uh, category league. But other than that, uh, I'm putting beer down. Uh, I'm leaving beer alone. Um, I actually had him on my uh, TGFBI league and I've uh, just recently cut him loose for the same reason. So moving on and we're uh, starting to wind it down as far as the uh, regular selections before we get into um, just a quick overview of the comp picks that were had in 2018. Number 29 is Noah Taylor 
for the Cleveland then Indians, now Guardians. Noah, you best know him as Bo, uh, just had a monster game with multiple late-inning home runs to win it for the Guardians um, last week. And both Naylor brothers have kind of been long-awaited prospects. Um, In the case of Bo, I just don't know if there's enough at-bats to be had for him to make an impact. Um, I would say currently he's a deep league play only. It just seems like several different parts would need to move around in Cleveland for him to really have a chance to gain more value. Uh, The power we've seen is there. I don't know that there's much else to his game and, um, especially being a catching prospect, I just don't know um, that he is going to be able to move to any other position uh, to gain, like I said, the, the relevant number of at-bats to really make an impact. So something to keep him, uh, an eye out for, though. Cleveland obviously is in flux. They're in transition. So I think they're kind of uh, testing some guys out, essentially, just trying to see who can who might stick around who might be a good part to a good asset for them to move and who just isn't going to be viable for them moving forward. So I think in that environment, um, Bo Naylor might still uh, get you something. I think you just have to really be very, very tuned in to what's happening in Cleveland to see it. Uh, If you are, then more power to you. If you don't feel like putting in that sort of work and you want to kind of turn your focus elsewhere, then I think you can let Bo Naylor uh, just kind of be for the time being. And number 30, this is our last uh, regular pick for 2018, and that's the Los Angeles Dodgers selecting JT Ginn out of um, Brandon High School in Mississippi. Uh, Ginn is yet to pitch in the majors. Uh, He was dealt to the Mets, uh, and that's where he started to rise up uh, the rankings a bit last season in 2021. And then this past off season, he was sent to Oakland as part of the Chris Bassett deal. And it looks like he has the components of a solid back end starter. He's actually pitching today on Sunday for the double um, A affiliate of Oakland, the Midland Rockhounds. So I might be able to uh, take a look at some innings of his uh, sometime tonight just to see how he looks. Um, statistically, he's been able to generate strikeouts pretty much wherever he goes. Um, this season, especially, he's not been the best at limiting damage. Um, he's already allowed three home runs, 13 hits, 10 earned runs, and that's in 14 and two thirds innings. So, um, obviously, getting strikeouts good, but with him being able to be hit um, and hit hard, uh, that's something where especially for a guy that doesn't seem to be very overpowering or really have any sort of wipeout stuff specifically to, to put him in that um, SP2, SP3 range, you start to worry about um, is he going to be, is he going to start to fall into that low leverage reliever type, right? Is he not going to have enough to stick as a rotational piece? And then again, not having one plus pitch, he's not really the type of guy that immediately falls into the bullpen at a high leverage role. Um, then he just becomes kind of a, a mop-up guy, and that's really no good for anybody from a fantasy standpoint. So that's the sort of concern. That's the worst-case scenario. But, again, him generating strikeouts, that's the best-case um, scenario of, of him kind of being that SP4 type and being able to stick. 
uh, in the back end of the Oakland rotation. I'm actually curious to see how Oakland will develop some of these arms that they've uh, acquired, uh, the Q6, the, the Gins, um, those types that they've um, taken on through trades. And really trying to see, are they going to make any sort of major changes? Is there a, a specific type that they um, are looking to develop in Oakland? Or are they just kind of going to let them continue on what was successful for them at their previous teams uh, because of his production and his level he's already in double a uh, and along with the fact that Oakland doesn't really have much of a rotation that's going to block guys I think again is viable at least to ask as like a throw in in a trade just to see if there's something there uh, because I think he's going to get a shot probably in the next season or so and I think he's the type of guy who his debut may not be um, highly anticipated, but if he can string together a couple of good starts, then he's a guy that you're happy to have um, in your farm, especially if you don't have to promote him immediately. If you're in a league where you don't have to immediately promote a guy um, when they are promoted from minor to major, you can let him sit in your farm system for a little bit uh, as he accumulates innings that might allow you just to really gauge what his value is going to be for your team moving forward. And if you want to keep him, maybe you want to send him on as part of a trade package. So again, it's an interesting um, player or player type just because he's, he's not necessarily looking like he's going to be anything great, but he's looking like he might be good enough. And a lot of times in dynasty, especially for a pitcher, that's what you're looking for is somebody who's just good enough. They'll get you the stats that you need, um, especially if you're in the head to head and they'll have just enough value that you can say, OK, I've gotten what I need from this guy and now I'm going to send him on and get something um, that I think is going to be even better for me down the line. So with that, let's run through these uh, compensation picks, because there is uh, one name in particular and he was number 31 that I just think is remarkable when you look at how this draft is shaped up. And that's uh, Shane McClanahan coming out of the University of South Florida for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was compensation for Alex Cobb, who, of course, infamously signed to the Orioles. And that did not work out for Alex Cobb nor the Orioles, but it did work out for Tampa Bay getting Shane McClanahan, who I would say, just looking at this, um, currently is the best pitcher out of this entire first round. And I I would imagine I haven't looked through the entire draft, but I would imagine he at least is top five um, pitcher out of everybody selected in this draft. And the only competition that I know, at least in the first round to him is probably Grayson Rodriguez, but McClanahan's a major league pitch, pitcher right now and doing quite well. McClanahan is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Rodriguez is not a major league pitcher yet. So that gives McClanahan the leg up. He's been lights out as I'm sure you all know. There's no real window to buy him. If you're going to try to get McClanahan, you're going to be paying a, a high price for it. Um, and if you have McClanahan, unless you're getting something remarkable back, I don't really see why you'd be dealing him in the first place. So that's, you know, kudos to Tampa Bay just, you know, being sharks and, and really going out and getting a guy using that compensation and going out and getting a guy that really has, um, been really valuable for them in real life and obviously very valuable for uh, those that roster him in fantasy. Uh, number 32, also Tampa Bay, is Nick Schnell. Um, now, I'm highlighting Nick Schnell. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick Schnell. 
Um, just to, to shout out Nick and Kobe White, um, who's another Tampa Bay Ray player pitcher um, for them over at uh, Prospects Live right now. They have a podcast um, and there's a third. I want to say they have a third host and I'm blanking on his name. And apologies to him. But they have a podcast. Uh, prospects live podcast called diamonds in the rough so shout out to them i think it's really cool for them to be active minor leaguers but they're also podcasting about their experiences they're bringing in peers to talk shop as well so you know i don't think nick schnell is giving us any fantasy value but i definitely respect his um, podcast game so shout out to them Uh, number 33 is jackson coar being selected by the kansas city royals Um, we kind of touched on coar earlier when we were talking about Singer, but he came up finally last season. It did not look good. Um, it just, it, it, he just got kind of run out of just about every game he played. And then even in AAA, he was getting um, hit very hard, uh, a lot of damage being taken by him. Uh, so I, I don't really know what the future is going to hold for Jackson Kawar, but uh, he's not a guy that, uh, again, I'm looking to take on. It just is too much of a headache. I'd rather see that he's figured things out and then I can inquire. And maybe that means um, kind of similar to a Kyle Wright, right? Like maybe he figures it out and you have a very small window where you can see, oh, this guy actually has turned a corner and I can grab him. And then once that corner is turned, it's going to be game over. Whoever has him, um, kind of like hot potato, whoever has him is going to be uh, the one that is reaping the rewards. So that could happen for Jackson Coar. I don't know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not seeing that right now, but something that we could potentially keep an eye on. Uh, number 34, also Kansas City Royals. Daniel Lynch, who we talked about, he came out of University of Virginia. Um, and just to um, cover bases, uh, Schnell, just to go back a couple picks. So Nick Schnell was compensation for the Rays not signing Drew Rasmussen. Obviously, Rasmussen ends up in Milwaukee. Jackson Coar is compensation for Lorenzo Kane, who also went to Milwaukee. And number 34, Daniel Lynch is compensation for infamous uh, signing of Eric Hosmer to the Padres. So um, the Royals, it looked like were were actually going to be easily reaping the rewards. And now I would say maybe it's a break even of suboptimalness on both sides. Lynch did not look good in his major league debut last season. Um, It looks like they're actually um, might be looking for him to come out of the pen. He has looked a, a bit better, but it does look like they've um, perhaps moved to him being more of a, a middle inning sort of um, bulk uh, reliever type, which overall I, I think that's not bad. Like for a comp pick number 34, getting an effective bulk reliever, essentially, a, you know, Merp type. I don't think that's the worst thing. I just think that the expectations for Lynch were higher than that. And that's where I kind of feels like that's um, not very good, not really ideal. But I, I think if you took the name off, right, if you take the, the label off and just looked at what you could potentially be getting based on numbers this season and you were told, hey, this guy was a comp pick. I think you would say, okay, well, that's that's pretty decent value. And I think from a fantasy standpoint, you say, okay, there's a guy that I don't mind um, having on my team. Uh, maybe I can tra- trade a first-year player draft pick for him um, or a prospect or, or, you know, just kind of do a swap of uh, another reliever for him. I don't have to really go out of my way to acquire him. But if I have him on my team, he's doing all right. 
you see the name and the name brand, so to speak, of it being Daniel Lynch. And I think that's what raises the expectations there. And just to round things out, uh, for the 2018 Major League Amateur Draft first round, uh, the Cleveland now Guardians, then Indians, selected Ethan Hankins um, out of Forsyth Central High School. He was comp pick for Carlos Santana going to the Phillies um, in that offseason. And Hankins uh, battled some injuries. I believe he's coming back from injury right now, but he's looking good in, in the rehab and what he's um, what he's been showing. Again, it's Cleveland, so young pitcher in Cleveland. You got to like the the possibilities there. Um, I think Hankins, especially now coming off the injury, he might profile more as a guy coming out of relief or maybe a back into the bullpen. Um, but who knows, man? Uh, I mean, Cleveland is still kind of working wonders. And I, he's another guy that I also wouldn't be surprised if they put him in a trade package, maybe not this year, but maybe sometime next year or the year after. And he ends up as being a higher rated prospect for another team who doesn't have the pitching depth that Cleveland does have. So Hankins is probably a guy that I would put on a on a short watch list if I'm looking out for um, certain pitcher types. And with that, that wraps up our 2018 Major League Draft retrospective. Um, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. Um, we got a jam-packed, or I got a jam-packed uh, rest of May planned. We got this uh, particular episode coming out. We have, of course, uh, Player of the Week, along with our um farm system rankings coming out this week we also will have the return of inside fastball the newsletter coming out this week as well that should be hitting your inbox on wednesday if you are a subscriber if you want to subscribe you can find it on my twitter page of course you can find me on twitter at inside fastball capital i capital f um and subscribe to the newsletter there it is free so there is no obligation, no cost to you, just some free writing um, outside of picture list for you to have. And that will be returning. Of course, I took April off just to kind of reset and, and get a breather. And now we're back to the grind. So uh, with that all said, I hope you enjoy these last two episodes and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.